0: and Combs, You're a host. Thank you so much for listening today. Um, this episode of the podcast is about a sexual topic. I will be discussing um, if porn can be an addiction uh, with Sari Cooper, who is the director uh, for the Center for Love and Sex in New York City. So this might be an episode that you listen to uh, with your headphones and Not (laughs) at full blast when you're on a walk, or maybe you don't feel comfortable uh, listening to it with your kids in the car. Um, Anyway, coming right up, Sari Cooper tells us, can pornography be an addiction? Welcome back. I'm here with Sari Cooper. Hi, Sari. Hi, Kendall Ann. So, you are an expert in, dun-dun-dun, sex. You're the director of the Center for Love and Sex, and that's a practice that specializes in sex therapy for both individuals and couples. Can you kind of explain your journey about how you ended up being a sex expert and what happens in your practice? What are you what are you guiding couples and individuals through?
1: It's a great question, and actually, as hard as it might be for some of you to understand, it was actually a very organic path. So um, when I was younger, in my first life, as I like to say, or my first chapter, I was a professional modern dancer. That's why I came to New York. And I danced, um, I went to the Juilliard School, I graduated and danced professionally in modern dance companies. And then I did my own choreography, which I'd already been doing since I was a kid, um, and produced it. Um, so when I wanted to But while I was actually in undergraduate school, I got very interested in the ideas of um, dance therapy. And I thought that was a really cool uh, way of helping people. Um, And then when I decided to transition out of the profession of dance, I I, I really was drawn to the helping professions, which actually many artists are. And I went um, and I got really uh, fascinated by Family therapy, which is, and couples therapy. And um, I went to social work school and then I went for postgraduate uh, work at the Ackerman Institute, which is like a prime, like the, you know, sort of the oldest family systems um, institute in the States. And I loved working with couples. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in the day, no one talked about sex. Just like no one talked about sex in social work school and being in the arts and being a dancer where sex was discussed in kind of very open way I mean it was a very diverse community in the modern dance world in New York it was uh, both from sexual orientation um, and identity and um, cultural and racial backgrounds so I started asking my couples you know just as part of an assessment how was your sex life going and I was very comfortable talking about it so that made it easier for them to talk about it a little bit easier and then I realized oh you know I really this is a whole field of study that I need to know more about and I need to be able to make differential diagnosis to understand if something is being caused by something biological, something, medi- you know, medication as a side effect of medication, or is this a relational issue with a partner or uh, some combination of all of it? Um, so I then did more postgraduate studies and I became sex certified. So that's my journey. And, and there really is a I think a link between being a choreographer and dancer and being a sex therapist in that um, in order to be an excellent um, choreographer, you have to be able to talk about body positions and um, you know how how even if you make a nuanced change in the way something um, is shaped it may, can make a big difference in let's say partnering with a partner right mm-hmm. so very similar to. How partners talk to each other or should talk to each other about the sexual, you know, behaviors or events or activities they want to try.
0: I'm just going to tell you right now that you're the most well-rounded person to ever be on this podcast. (laughs) 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 And now I can be like, oh yes, I have a dancer that that graduated from Juilliard on the podcast. She's one of the experts. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're you're being very kind.
0: That's so cool. As, as someone who likes to dance but is not that great at it, I can tell you that I am just so envious of your talent. And, and now, you know, that that's led you to, be, to really help people. So what we're going to talk about today is pornography. And you wrote an article that discusses whether or not pornography can be an addiction. And you say that in your practice you see many clients who have self-diagnosed as porn addicts. Mm-hmm. And so my question is what do you observe are the reasons why they identify as having an addiction to pornography?
1: It's an excellent question. Um it um, and the reason I really wanted to get this information out there. So someone would come in and say, you know, hey, doc, I have I'm a porn addict or uh, and I'll say, well, what makes you believe that you're addicted to porn? Because it's, you know, unlike alcohol or drugs, you know, um, or or weed. I mean, you know, it it's not considered really an addiction. And um, they'll say, well, I can never stop. I'm on it all the time. It's getting in the way of my relationship with my partner. Um, I'm really into this fantasy or whatever, and I just can't stop. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask, well, where do you come to believe that you need to stop? Mm. And they'll say, well, my wife thinks, if it's a guy, my wife thinks that it's ruining our sex life because, um, you know, we're not having sex as often. Mm-hmm. And um, or I'm fantasizing about this thing that I saw on porn and it's really, it, it's not acceptable. I mean, it's really, you know, it, it's, it's disgusting to myself after I view it.
0: Oh. Yeah. That's so And so in your article, you note that there's been a recent study and it found, and I need you to to define these words when we're talking about kind of behaviors. Mm -hmm. The two words are the recent study found that impulsivity and compulsivity were weakly related to pornography use, but frequency seems to be the most critical variable when someone is feeling out of control okay mm-hmm. so can you break that down <laughs> like what's the difference between impulsivity compulsivity and then just basically just frequency
1: okay So impulsivity is the experience of feeling like, um, you know, I have to have something. I'm going to do it right now. Um, It's uh, frequently associated with like people who have ADHD, for example, um, where they have a very like low threshold of inhibition um, and just have ideas or, you know, uh, desires and they just go, oh, I'm going to do it. And so, without thinking necessarily of the consequences, so that just you know, is impulsivity. I'm not even I just,
0: it. I used to be a sixth grade teacher, so uh, <laughs> 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 I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> like,
1: I needed an action. Why didn't
0: you think before you did that? And the kid would be like, "I don't know. I, that's just what I just did it. I felt like I should do it, so I did it.
1: right. Right. So it goes with certain um, uh, de- psychological development, right? You know, mid, mid, you know, uh, middle school is a good example. <laughs> um, um, people who have just low thresholds of inhibition, they'll try anything. Like, yeah, that seemed like a good idea. Let me try it. They have creative brains, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas compulsivity has is it comes out of like um, if you think about obsessive compulsive disorder, compulsivity has to do with kind of... Um, a ritualistic aspect where you do something repetitively um, that is more in keeping with um, sometimes it has to do with thoughts or feelings that are um, you don't want to have. And Mm -hmm. so creating like a compulsive ritual to distract or um, satisfy somehow or, you know, push away those feelings that you don't want to have. so that's different. And, that, and, and that, so that's where people say, well, it's compulsive. And I'll say, well, you know, there are a series of questions I ask people to sort of help them define what it is, you know, or how frequent they're doing it and, how long, and the quality of their going online um, to understand, well, is it really compulsive? Mm-hmm. And how is it interfering? Those are all questions that people don't necessarily ask themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last question thing that you're bringing up is frequency right um so feeling out of control is different than being out of control oh that's a big thing here like oh my
0: gosh that listen I have a book where I write down important quotes and you're getting put in a book tonight (laughs) that was a (laughs) go that that is so true
1: right so that experience of going you know so I'll ask them well you know, when you're, when you're online and watching porn, like, how, how often do you, do you go on in a week? And sometimes people will say, well, I go on, you know, I go on every day. And let's say they're in their 20s. And it's a guy. And he goes on every day. We'll say, okay, um, how long do you go on for? Oh, probably like, I don't know, 15 to 30 minutes. And, you know, given that a, a man in, in his 20s is probably very aroused very frequently, um, that's kind of normative, you know, to masturbate once a day at least, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you're on for 15, 30 minutes, whatever. You know, that to me isn't, you know, but to them, they may feel, yeah, but I shouldn't be doing that. That's, that's abnormal.
0: So it's not like they are just doing it impulsively like, Oh, I'm just going to do this right now. And it's not like compulsive. Like they feel like doing it is gonna, I don't know, um, save them some kind of other trouble. It's just the fact that they do it every day and in their minds, they feel like that seems to be too frequent.
1: And yes, all to all of that. And, um, we have to also add to the to the mix if they have a partner. And if their partner says, Why are you masturbating every day to porn?
0: Uh-huh.
1: You must be addicted. Like, that's like, ooh, like, why would you do that?
0: Mm-hmm. You have a
1: partner living with you or a wife. Like, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. And so it's that kind of like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. Why and would so, I, right
0: so that that goes right into how what you have found is that a lot of people who self identify as addicted to porn, they do it because they have a sense of shame
1: that is one of the sort of um variables that a lot of people don't look at that is very important. Now by the way I'm not I'm also saying there are people who are dysregulated with their porn consumption. Mm-hmm. So there are people who um sort of like people who are dysregulated by using video games. Um mm-hmm. can go deep down a rabbit hole of uh porn use where they're going um watching porn for Hours out of the day, and it impacts their ability to either, you know, um, do their schoolwork if they're in, you know, college, or if they're in um, a job and it's, it, or they have responsibilities in the home, and they have, you know, a partner and children, and and they're, you know, it's taking them away from the life that they've created, or and the responsibilities that they have. Yeah, that's a different, very different feeling, and experience.
0: That's different than you watch porn and you masturbate, and then someone you're, that you're in a relationship with, for whatever reason, adds a, makes you feel shameful of, of doing that.
1: Right. So and it's not, it's not only a partner that might make you feel ashamed, right?
0: yeah. Oh, don't worry. We'll get into that.
1: All right. Okay, good.
0: (laughs) So my next question, and this was like so interesting to me. You write that some use porn as an unconscious expression of anger, freedom, revenge, and liberation. Can you speak a little bit to to what you mean by that?
1: Right. So people um, don't realize that... um, what they're sometimes um what they're watching when they're watching um who they're watching is um an expression and has meaning in and of itself um be, you know they they grow up just watching it they don't understand where it's coming from so for example if someone's in a relationship with a partner who makes them feel like they can't speak their um, their truth, that they can't really express themselves uh, openly about either what they want in the bedroom with them, mm-hmm. or even about just general things around the house, if you will. And they feel, um, and this is sort of a pattern they've had since childhood for a variety of reasons. Maybe they grew up in a traumatic household. Maybe they just felt like, um, you know, they were not, you know, children were supposed to be seen and not heard. But so, you know, when they feel anger and annoyance that they're being ignored and not heard and not tended to at times, um, they may go off and, and and do this thing that's purely for their own enjoyment and um, private. It's private. It's their own space that they can sort of um, go go into and, and enjoy themselves and have pleasure. And maybe this was, um, let's say, a man who as a kid you know the only way they could like enjoy themselves was to ha- you know retreat to their room and read a book that was about fantasy as a way of escaping what was going on in the ch- in the family you know so that's kind of um you know maybe rage or anger um as pa- as far as um freedom and liberation i always sort of think about fantasy as um in the same way that kids, you know, are have more, or artists have access to their imaginations and have permission to just go and play somewhere uh, that's made up, and so it's extremely liberating to be in a in a place where you can sort of create or uh, find a fantasy that really resonates with you.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like a little bit of escapism. Totally. Yeah. You also point out that one um, reason why some people self-identify as porn addicts is because of cultural shame. Mm. So you say, unlike diagnosed addictions to substances, porn addiction, which one prescribes to oneself, is more often than not part of an internal conflict with values learned implicitly and explicitly in one's family of origin or low or larger culture. Yeah. So and then you and then you give these really good bullet points about things that people might be struggling with their their internal struggle might be something like the quote unquote right way to have sex.
1: Yeah. Yeah quote,
0: quote unquote normal masturbation frequency. Mm accepted sexual orientation unacceptable fantasies if one identifies as heterosexual potential sinful nature of masturbation we'll talk about that in a minute and derogatory views of a person paying for pornography so walk walk me through how this kind of cultural shame then maybe would make someone who who does watch porn and masturbate to porn feel like it's a problem
1: yeah it's 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 so endemic to the American culture for sure and then um within the American culture and then beyond the 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 taboos and myths we learn about um from a very young age and so uh you know for example well uh if if you know, I've had clients who talk about when they were, you know, girls in their particular culture, like um, who would, pl- you know, pleasure themselves when they were little girls, even just touching themselves in their, in their vulva area. And they were smacked by the, the, the parent or grandparents saying that's dirty. That's disgusting. Oh.
0: oh my gosh.
1: Right. So that's a a, a lesson or learned early that you have to first of all hide it, and secondly you're disgusting for doing that or even wanting to do it and then there's a question of but it feels good, so is what feels good disgusting and then you have like a meeting of two things in your in your unconscious, so if I feel disgusting i uh, you know there's something very arousing about that
0: so you're having a normal human experience, right? Like That, that your, your body is set up to feel good mm. when, when it's being pleasured sexually. That's the way that your body is set up. That's but okay. possibly when you were young, someone in your family or possibly just culturally shamed you for finding pleasure in your own body. And so that's just this layer on what, what are you supposed to do when it feels good but you've been told it's wrong.
1: It's not only that you're told it's wrong. You know, I always say to people, there's a difference between feeling shame and feeling embarrassed. Oh, okay. So feeling embarrassed is, you know, maybe when you were, you know, in middle school and you were masturbating in the shower and your father walked in and you were kind of embarrassed and then he walked out. That's embarrassed. Like, oh, I should have locked the door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. shame is a much deeper feeling of I am bad internally. The core of me is bad. So the same scenario, you know, father walks in, son is, you know, masturbating in the shower. That is so, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. How dare you? How dare you dirty our house? That's a sin. You're going to go to hell for that. That's That's a totally, totally different, um, message that gets, um, internalized and becomes wedded at a young age to one's sense of oneself.
0: Mm -hmm. So that's a perfect segue into, I I hope I don't say this word super duper wrong, but (laughs) you talk about religiosity. Is that right?
1: Religiosity, yeah.
0: religiosity. Okay, so so we're now we're right there. Um, what is religiosity?
1: Well, religiosity is the experience that or the belief um, in a deity. Basically, it's in any deity you know, and there are plenty of religions as we know that has you know a deity that you believe in. Um, And that the fact that, you know, the way that these researchers in in this recent, like, brand new study, um, that actually the belief in a deity, or really, you know, the term religiosity, had indirect effects on perceived addiction via shame. In other words, I'm perceiving myself to be an addict, Um, more people who reported they had that uh, experience and felt shamed about it, actually believed in a deity.
0: When I read that in your article, I was so shocked, but also not shocked. <laughs> like at the same time, like that because a religion should provide you support and comfort, but in this case, it's it's making you sh- ashamed.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 feeling like um, having the desires uh, that you happen to have um, is sinful. Mm-hmm. And and perhaps becomes more mm, desired because of it. Like mm-hmm. has the you know, uh, 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 you know, makes you want it more. Yeah. We want we want what we can't have. There's something exciting about you know being naughty.
0: You write with regard to pornography addictions. Those who self-reported as religious. And who were morally disapproving of porn were more likely to perceive addiction.
1: Right. that,
0: That must be a hard thing to, you know, to live with that your religion is making you feel ashamed of doing something that, you know, most people would understand is a natural, pleasurable experience.
1: Right. Well, because there are some several religions, if you if they're being practiced um, in a more orthodox fashion, have many rules that govern uh, sexuality. Uh, they have to be. It has to be done um, when you're married to a person of the opposite gender, um, a cisgender, uh, you know, person. It there it has to be done um, in order to procreate. Um, it has to be done um you know uh, you can't it, you know there's there're questions about how much pleasure are you having with it um there are rules around in some religions around masturbation you know that you you know that you're not supposed to masturbate if you're a man because you're wasting your seed so there are many religions that have so many rules and so many rules about women's sexuality uh-huh. and and um sense of um, agency, if you will.
0: I was very lucky because I grew up Catholic, but I grew up uh, with a hippie mom, <laughs> happened to be a Catholic, <laughs> who would not say in her vows to my father that she would accept children willingly from God <laughs> if she knew she was going to use birth control. So, <laughs> like, I, like, I was lucky enough to be raised in, like, when you know when if I was getting any of these signals from my religion that possibly sex was something that was shameful, I got and I got a different <laughs> message yeah. from my mother. <laughs> so
1: that <Right? laughs> and you and you learned it very early on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine you know having, a, especially people who are deeply you know devout, to have a, a thing where you have to struggle with you know, this sexual pleasure is bad. This makes me a bad person. This makes me not religious. This makes me, you know, a traitor to my religion. That must be a very hard thing for people to work through.
1: It is. And think about it if, you know, most kids are naturally curious, but if you grew up in a very um, religious and very um, isolated, if uh, protective Um, environment in that you go to a school that's only part of your religious order and maybe you're not even allowed online or to watch tv so there's a lot you don't know Mm -hmm. and then you're naturally curious and then suddenly you know someone you you know from outside of this community maybe or someone within the community shows you something that there's this whole other world out there and you, your, your mind is literally blown, like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And that looks so exciting.
0: <laughs>
1: and natural. <laughs> or, well, you don't know it's natural. What you know is that you're aroused, right? And mm-hmm. you know that it's alluring and seductive and interesting and exciting. Mm-hmm. But you don't know what you know. It's, you know it's not allowed and that you've been told you're not supposed to see this stuff. And then you figure out well, why it must be really, it, you know, first of all, it's sinful. Why is it sinful? Well, because I was told, but taught by my religion from a very young age that I shouldn't be looking at this stuff because it's disgusting.
0: Mm-hmm. And then we have this whole kind of push from the self-help industry that's almost exploited the idea of porn as an addiction in order to make money wow
1: well, it's it's big I mean um the term even sex addiction has been around now for almost 30 years
0: can you, can uh, you, can you break down like what does it mean to be a sex act
1: well first of all it hasn't even been passed as a diagnosis because it hasn't there hasn't been enough research to be to qualify it as a, a disorder in the really? di- yeah, and the DSM five. That's, that's
0: shocking to me because it's just so. As a culture, we've just accepted that some people are addicted to sex, and it's a it's a thing.
1: Yeah. Well, it, there's a lot of um, there's a, a lot of energy behind that model. How about that? You know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, there there is a new diagnosis in the um, what's called the ICD or the International Classification of Disease. Um, but I, 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 do think there's a lot more research that needs to be added and, um, you can't just take someone's, you know, someone comes in and goes, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm bipolar. Well, how do you know you're bipolar? You know, well, I, I just think I am. Cause sometimes I have a lot of energy. Well, that's not a diagnosis. You're not going to just say, oh yeah, yeah. You have bipolar disorder. No, there are criteria to meet. In order to have a diagnosis and a disorder, um, are some people? Um, well, I'll go back to your question. Yes, there's been a lot of um, written about the fact that if you use porn, um, there's something it's going to inhibit you and cause you to lose your erections. And actually, there are a lot of young men who come in and say, you know, I'm going on, I'm going on a on a, a diet. You know, I'm going to cut out just like you have a clean January, I'm going to cut out porn completely, because I'm thinking that maybe it'll bring my desire back for my partner. An example would be a guy, a young man who comes in and says, you know, um, I think in order for me to really have a better relationship with my girlfriend, I'm going to stop using porn. Mm -hmm. Because he's, he and or she have identified that You know, it's the porn that's making him not want to have sex with her. And she feels like he's comparing her to all of these, you know, women online who, um, you know, who have enhanced bodies and maybe have had plastic surgery. So um, she feels worse about her own body because he's watching these women. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a big, more complex nut to um, unwrap. Basically, Mm -hmm. it's it's like an onion with many, many layers to look to look at. So the question is, well, um, have you ever thought about when you masturbate and what's going on at that time and how you're feeling? Um, And have you ever considered that um, people, even though they're partnered, continue to masturbate till they're very old? Most people, and Mm. they'll say, really because they don't know what's normal. They come in and go, well, what's normal? I always say to people, well, I'm not going to tell you what's normal because there are variations on the bell curve, but I can tell you what um, an average people at the top of the bell curve too, but you may not be average. Mm-hmm. So you may actually have a higher than average um, libido. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're going online so you don't bother your partner as much. Maybe she has um, a a libido. She wants to have sex once or twice a week. And if it were up to you, you would want to have sex six times a week.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Or maybe what you're watching is something that um, is very compelling for you, but you feel embarrassed or shamed about even bringing it up with your partner because you feel like, you know, she'll think it's gross.
0: So would you feel like the only amount of, let's say, like excessive porn use would be if it interfered with your everyday life and your relationships? Is that though, is, if that was happening, would you think that maybe your client might have, uh, hyper sexuality or i don't even know the
1: right word well you know the term that i'm really using nowadays is out of control sexual behavior and that has to do with it. so the people in, you know i, I run a, a men's group mm-hmm. and the men in this group have gone beyond some of um First of all, they've crossed a line in terms of their own moral values. And what I mean by that, that's not religiosity necessarily. That has to do with um, being an integrated person. So I believe, you know, I've married somebody, whether, you know, I've married a man or a woman. Um, and I made a, uh, an agreement that we were going to be sexually exclusive. Mm-hmm. And I broke that agreement. And I regard myself as a highly honorable, honest person, and I can't believe I did that. Mm-hmm. So why do I keep breaking this agreement over and over again when it's causing so much pain to my partner and it's making me question who I am?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that is a good candidate and for someone to do the out-of-control sexual behavior group because... They're doing something repetitively, repetitively that is in, you know, in um, opposition to who they want to be with themselves and with their partner.
0: Huh. So if it's taking you out of what you would view as, and I mean the person that's doing it, if it takes you out of the kind of relationship that you want to have, then Mm. possibly there are some things there that that you really need to dig into.
1: Right. Um, Another example would be that, um, you know, you tend to go on um, line and you're paying and paying a lot of money, actually, um, to sex workers uh, uh, doing online chat, you know, video, you know, videos for you. So, so so
0: is that like webcam girls? Is that just? Yes.
1: Okay. Right.
0: So, can you describe what, what that is because that's a phenomenon that some might not know even exists.
1: So, instead of just looking at pre made videos um, that are actually quite, you know, uh, available and free and accessible, um, you want something that's more specialized so that um, you can either find uh, live. Uh, people online to have dirty talk with or who will do certain things on camera like masturbate um, or you know you can actually even direct the action and have it you know totally curated to your fantasy Um, and it's something that you feel like perhaps you can't even do with your partner so um, but you're spending a lot of money and you're spending money that actually belongs to you and your partner that you may have had i you know uh concerns about uh making sure you pay the bills <laughs> or saving for something that you had agreed to um and it's getting out of hand
0: so when you see those types of behaviors not just people who self identify as like Listen, like I masturbate, I watch porn and I masturbate a couple, like several times a day. And it, it's bothering me, maybe because they feel shamed because of their religion or their partner or mm. their whatever kind of inner dialogue. That's very different than the people who come to you and say, I have violated the terms of my relationship because of pornography
1: yeah okay right and so they need to they need to have a space that's safe Mm -hmm. to um realize for themselves what are their principles um and what are the um sexual health plan for that they want for themselves and it should be based on some principles um, and that we discuss and they learn about, um, and then they have to do some soul searching, but they do it within a framework of support uh-huh. and, uh, non-judgment and a way, with other men. And, you know, men do not talk about sex as it's one of the big, biggest myths, like men don't really talk about what's going on in their sex life. They'll just go, Hey, I just, you know, <laughs> like, did, you know i did this they may just sort of uh, allude to it but do they really talk about all the multiple layers of feelings they have around somebody or mm-hmm. some uh, activity no they don't
0: yeah there. Are, i'm i'm imagining men don't have conversations like i feel like i was disrespectful to my wife when i did this sexual thing to her yes that's, that's probably not happening
1: that's right. They won't say, or they won't say, and I, I want to get to it because I don't want to miss out on it. If people are feeling um, anxious or scared, men are not um, brought up to have those, to express those feelings because there are many negative stereotypical terms that they're you know, thrown at them from very young age uh, to make sure that they take on the code of masculinity, Mm -hmm. And um, anyone who deviates from that American code of masculinity or within their particular culture uh, gets harsh, harsh treatment. So if they want to say I'm feeling jealous or I'm feeling uh, left out or I'm feeling, um, you know, like I'm inadequate, um, there are no ways for them to actually express that. But if they can sort of conflate it all into a sexual scene or into a sexual experience, somehow it gets calmed down Mm -hmm. or they get comforted. Mm
0: -hmm. So I I just want to say this, I've never heard anyone say this before. And you're the first, like when I was talking about you being on the show, I was calling you a sexpert. (laughs) (laughs) What? I know that's probably something so stupid and crazy, but
1: so no, no, no! That's that's totally in line. So, what is a sexual
0: health plan?
1: Yeah, right. So, so a sexual health plan incorporates um, the principles of sexual health that you're taking care of yourself. You're taking care of those around you medically, um, uh, mental health wise, uh, STI wise. Uh, Pregnancy-wise, consensually, uh, all of those principles um, that you're going to, um, f- so you can feel more integrated and aligned, right? So I'm not going to do anything that, let's say, um, breaks my vows of sexual exclusivity with my partner. Mm-hmm. That's that's a part of sexual health plan. I'm not going to um, lie. About the desires that I have, um, you know, and I'm not going to lie if I, um, so I'm not going to be um, hiding things that relates to my sexual interests. And and that can get a little nuanced, right? Because sometimes people are allowed to th- keep th- something private, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Partners don't have to tell them each other everything about what they fantasize about, but there's a difference between fantasy and a secret. A secret is something that actually has an impact on your partner if they found out.
0: That's such a good point.
1: Right? A private thought is, you know, I have a fantasy that, you know, I could have sex with three people on the roof of the aper state building like that's <laughs> that's a fantasy that's a place to go so
0: so a fantasy might be you that you fantasize about I don't, I'm like having a threesome but yes. a secret would be you did it while you were in a relationship when Maybe you expressed it or you didn't express it for whatever reason, but, but your partner was not involved in it. Those are two different things.
1: Those are two different things, right? One's a, one's a secret because it crossed a boundary that you had made.
0: So, when we, you know, just as living humans, when we're thinking of our own sexual health plan, part, and I'm just guessing this, that part of it is also maybe boundaries that we have to sort of think through in our heads first before we can communicate those as well.
1: Exactly, and which is why the group is so important. I mean, being in individual therapy is important, um, but being in a group to hear other people uh, deliberate about about what they want or aspire to and how hard it is sometimes when they're having all these emotions or wet parts, um, or goals that they're still ambivalent about, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, so for some people they'll say, I, I'm still wondering whether it's sustainable for me not to watch porn ever again, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or is it sustainable for me, um, to keep all my private kinky fantasies to myself and never share them with my partner.
0: Mm-hmm. And probably another layer on that is why did I never share them with my partner?
1: Right, and that's the work of the group, right, to really talk about that stuff, and it, okay. it has deep layers and you know, and sometimes there are you know trauma histories that people carry with them that they've never really um articulated or processed or healed from, and the way they try to try to heal it is through you know. Different sexual experiences
0: mm-hmm. kind of like that like that escapism
1: escapism or repeti- you know re- repeating something mm-hmm. that uh, used to be you know w- it, when it first happened was tr- a trauma, mm-hmm. but then somehow you're trying to master it, mm-hmm. so you engage in this fantasy that's a little twist on it mm-hmm. the unconscious is really you know, they're a lot of times to help us. Yeah. So
0: as we're going through this conversation, to wrap it up, I feel like one of the main points of this is communication between you and either your partner, meaning the person that you're dating or married to, or in a situationship with her <laughs> um and, and that and for a lot of people and i'm going to include myself in that it, it is very difficult to 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 broach that subject about what we feel comfortable with what we don't feel comfortable with what do we say about our history what do we not say about our history all of that so if you can give us like a kernel of like, what makes it easier to talk to your partner about sex? What Mm. would you tell us?
1: One of the sort of initial things I may have, first of all, I put a, a sort of a foundation down to say to people, would you ever tell a little kid that comes in and tells you about a dream that, is fantastical that is not based in reality um that he should or she should be embarrassed or ashamed about having a dream no right so sexual fantasies are uh adult dreams Mm -hmm. and uh they're a way for the unconscious to mix all sorts of concoctions of our feelings, fears, wants, taboos, um, all in a new, you know, a little new concoction, a new recipe each time. <laughs> that's that's how amazing our minds are. True. So that's the foundation. And then what I would say is, um, I, I would like to share some part of me with you, and, um, but I really have to trust that you're not going to have a critical statement, that you're not going to crinkle your nose and make, you know, or make a joke about it, uh, because it's a very deep personal part of me. Um, and so I need to trust before I share that with you that um, you're going to just hear me out and whether you are into it or not, just listen. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and then on the other side, when someone opens themselves up to be vulnerable about whatever kind of, you know, sexual communication they want to give to you, like you should You should not judge them, (laughs) Uh, because it's it's difficult for one human to tell another something about their sexuality.
1: Yes, and it's difficult when you've had a lifetime of people telling you, "Don't talk about this." (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's going against everything you've learned from you know you know your earliest stages. So um, so partner B, who's the listener, has to say, I got it. And mm-hmm. I will not make a comment. I will not judge you. Um, and I will try to be as curious as possible about it.
0: And that doesn't necessarily mean that you are agreeing to do whatever your partner is communicating to you.
1: Exactly. You are,
0: you are providing the space for them to say,
1: yeah, right. Curiosity does not mean agreement.:
0: uh, Another thing to put in my freaking book tonight. <laughs> <I'm killing> it:
1: <laughs> <laughs> Right.
0: I, I think that, that's, I think that that's, a, that's a great thing for also when you're the one that's communicating, that, well, that it's all right for someone to be curious, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to go along with whatever you are communicating.
1: That's right, and so for partner A it has to know that mm-hmm. that sometimes your wishes will be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Know that your partner may not actually be is into what you're into. Your partner may not be willing to try something that really turns you on, um, but they'll they'll understand that you're different.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this was absolutely fascinating. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. And anytime you want to come back here and talk about sex, come on. You're always welcome.
1: <laughs> Thank you. You asked excellent questions, Kendall. And-, and and you've got to peek into how fascinating the sex therapy world really is. It's It's always just awesome and fascinating and interesting.
0: It really is so interesting. And it's... It's just amazing to me about, you know, like when I think about how much I don't know. <laughs> like, that's one of the things that, that I definitely need to read up one more about, you know, human sexuality and all of it, because it is a fascinating field. And thankfully, we have people like you, our best sex experts, to <laughs> guide us all through it and make sense of it.
1: Well, thank you so much, and um, I'm actually doing a countdown to V-Day 2021 on um, my Instagram, so you can check it out at uh, at Sari Cooper Sex Esteem, and um, there are actually some discounts provided for some sex toys for those of you still shopping for Valentine's Day.
0: All right, well, I'll definitely put a link on there, because... Some of us need (laughs) some of us are single in the pandemic. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks again to Sari Cooper for being on the show. In the show notes, you'll find a link to Sari's webpage, her Instagram, and her article about if pornography can be an addiction. If you are in an unsafe, unhealthy, or abusive relationship, there is help. Please dial the National Domestic Violence Hotline. That number is one 800 799 Again, the number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE.